Hello and welcome back to the Sports Battle, an actual um, football podcast with football for us uh, coming up this week. The Liga has started back, which we have Brenty Boyle coming on the show later, um, who's based in Spain and is obviously a football writer, among many other things. He was on to tell us about the round one in La Liga, um, which we're very excited about. And the Premier League kicks back off here on Wednesday night. And Jonathan, your beloved oh. Arsenal. Oh, hi, this could be such a beautiful thing to me. You're below at Arsenal playing Manchester City and they could hammer home uh, the possibility for Liverpool winning the title on Father's Day. Are you excited about, and I hope Brenton as well, are you excited Hello. about Arsenal coming back on Wednesday night? Uh, may the Lord no. Will <laughs> because, uh, you know, Brentford beat us at home. So, like, what, what, why, why would you think I'd be excited about this? Going to face Man City at the Etihad. Are you ex- are you excited about any of it? Are you excited about it returning at all? Or are you excited about any of it? We'll get um, into this now before we start. I'm excited to see Martinelli come back on Saka. But for that, uh, you know what? We we might we might just be you know making Man City think that oh, we're not going to win, like, but we'll show up there like absolute bad motherfuckers and put them to the sword because we have the potential to do it. Um, Bretton, are you excited about the Premier League coming back this week? Absolutely. Couldn't be more excited. Couldn't be more the opposite of Jonathan, which is a great place to be. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, this started well. You we have, measurable uh, wee shit. We have, uh, we have almost um, uh, like a month to, to uh, six weeks of just football. Uh, two to three games a day, I think. Maybe only this week is Thursday is the only day I don't think there's any football. I think it goes Wednesday and then it's Friday and then that's it. It's just chaos and, and Susan um, until this is over. But yeah, this weekend... I was there is footy on Thursday. Is there footy on Thursday? Who's on Thursday night? Not um, Premier League, John. Well, is it? If you've been following... No, 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 boys, no. If BBC have been showing highlights of... Cla- well, sorry, not even highlights, full games of classic European matches from the Euros. Have you not been, been watching this during the day? Have been watching it when you've been sitting there doing nothing at home? Jonathan, there's actual live football coming back. Stop no, with this no match. No one, no one cares about live football. No, no only you don't care. Only you don't care. No. Anyway, we're diving. Divul- about yeah. We're getting off topic here on the podcast, and the listeners at home, they're going to be, uh, they're going to be annoyed. But anyway, yeah, the football is back. <laughs> Um, and we're going to get into some wild predictions. I, hope, I think Jeddy has an award for us, and we're going to look at who, what we think will happen. So, boys, who do you think is going to win the Premier League? We'll get that one out of the way first. Oh, Jesus, Philip, come on. <laughs> I've been telling you from August who's going to win the Premier League. <laughs> Sheffield United. Yeah, probably. No. User are going to is that even a question? Like, you're not going to ask us that, are you? He like, just, just wants us to say it because he's a bastard. Because well, I can't say it. I physically cannot say it without feeling sick. Um, but the big the big one is top four and, and relegation, obviously. We'll start at top four first. Um, do you think Leicester have sort of pushed themselves too far in front now, everyone else, and think it's sort of up to Chelsea? Johnny, I'll let you go first. To drop their arse and fall out of it for anyone else to get into it? Well, are we excluding Man City from the top four race? Um, we yeah. can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So it's Liverpool, Leicester. Uh, I think 
I'll see. Well, finish top four. Well, Champions League spots, we'll just call that. They'll finish Champions League spots, no problem. It's uh, between the rest, and I think. Between from United to... Uh, it would be quite hard for us to break in because we need so many teams above us to drop points. So, uh, I think maybe Europa League for Arsenal, but hopefully not because I'd just die if I had to do another year in Europa League, honestly. Yeah, as we said before, you're, you're only five points off. I mean, yeah, your first game is obviously very hard. Yes, it is against um, Manchester City, away at Manchester City. But, I mean, United's first game is at, is at Spurs, who are going to, I think they're going to be fully fit now. Um, Harry Kane's going to be back. It's going to be interesting to see how Mourinho goes with that. So, I mean, for talk's sake, like if you do do something at the Etihad on Wednesday night, and then that game on Friday night doesn't go United's way, you're right back in there, right? Only two points possibly off them. Yeah. No, we could do it. Like I said, we just we just need United, Spurs, Sheffield United all to drop points. I just I just can't see them all dropping that many points over the next nine games or eight games many other teams have left for us to sneak in. Plus we're very inconsistent as well, as you know. Brighton, you know, you Chelsea know, you know, Jesus Christ. Every time we play is now it seems like he's beat us. But, yeah, uh, and every time like it seemed that we dropped a point like two points or three points that Arsenal also did it and for, for the first half of the season, United also did it. That's the only reason why Chelsea are still top four. And that, that sort of has been like, that's why I think like, um, I know people will say it doesn't count this title or whatever, but I think that's why you need to look at it, and t- take away your hatred towards Liverpool and think like, they have been absolutely outstanding this year. Klopp's team have been so stupidly consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been ridiculous. Like, And that's why they are so many so many points in front because everyone else behind them has all been so really, really inconsistent. Nobody's been able to go into a bit of a run, a, a sustainable run anyway, to stamp their authority down on the top four. I mean, if Liverpool, for talk's sake, weren't as consistent, we could potentially have the most unbelievable title run in for uh, a restart. Do you know what I mean? There could be six, seven teams involved, but because they, they were able to canter off and Klopp was able to get them to be so consistent and win all, all the games, it's made that gap. I think, um, we don't know what way the cast ruling is going to go, so... Potentially, Man City are going to come second anyway. I think Leicester have done just enough to, to secure top three. So it is between Chelsea and the rest. And it is interesting, Brett. I disagree that, there. You think, well, what do you think? I just think Leicester are still within reach of not just Chelsea, but everyone else below them. Like, But they're with, eight points ahead of Man United. But the fixtures, seven, like, sorry, the, yeah. the, the form that they... We're showing. I know that they won the last game against Villa quite convincingly, but and obviously we're back to you know fully fit squads, etc. But they still have to play um, Arsenal, Sheffield United, Tottenham, and Man United. That's their last three games are Sheffield United, Tottenham, and United. And, and Chelsea they have to play Chelsea too. They play Chelsea in the FA Cup just, but um, that's and there's some tricky games in there as well. The Crystal Palace is never easy. Everton, we don't know what they'll be like. Sometimes they can show up. So I think you know they have probably the most difficult running. I would say in terms of just sticking. Now Chelsea have a difficult enough running too, but um, I think they can be dragged further down into it. And you know, especially if United win against Spurs, um, they're they're actually ahead of Chelsea on on goal difference. So. Um, you know they're right. They're right back in it. And Leicester, depending on what way they start, if they get a shaky start, 
Um, there's not that many games there that are winnable on paper to recover from. Um, <clears throat> so I think it's, it, you know, form obviously goes completely out the window. It's, um, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be interesting as well, John, and it, to see how the home teams go because Jonathan Wilson had a piece in um, the Guardian today about the Bundesliga and how the home teams last year's record for home teams across the whole season was a win percentage of forty three point three percent, and this season since the restart and obviously it's a smaller um, sample size is only twenty one point seven percent. So it'll be interesting to see. In the, in the crunch battles, and we're talking about top four here first, and obviously that'll come into play in the relegation too, you'd have thought. But it'll be interesting to see how these teams go on. I'm just thinking of likes of Wolves and Sheffield United, who have been so reliant on it, and even obviously Leicester City. The smaller teams, to to give them that name, um, it'll be interesting to see how, how they get along and how they do get on in their games, because you could sort of expect Chelsea and United and yourselves, Arsenal and Tottenham, because they've been through a lot more and they're a bit bigger, to get over the line because on their squad's probably better than the rest. But it does even it's, itself out in a battle like this here. It's going to be so interesting, Johnny, to see how teams get on. Johnny? Yeah. Um, well, like, going to Anfield now with no fans is going to be a lot bloody easier than when it's full <laughs> and they're jumping up and down going like absolute cycles. Uh <laughs> Going to the Emirates will be no different because it's just like it's like nobody's there anyway in the first place. So. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be honest. I'm glad you said we that. Have, we don't have a great atmosphere at the Emirates. It, it's been known since the bloody stadium was built. So, uh, yeah, it will be different. It'll be different for everybody. It doesn't matter whether you're home or away. I think it's going to be very strange for players to maybe get used to this for a while. But this, like I say, I would rather go to Anfield or the Etihad right now. Well, there's no. Hang on, sorry. Why did I even throw the Eddie had in the same sentence as Anfield? Uh, I would rather go to Anfield now than have to go during a normal stage of the season where the cop is rocking. Yeah, well, like, yeah, especially obviously, I, I don't want to be the, the Liverpool fan to say, but Anfield, yes, it, it can be quite raucous. Um, at Worlds as well, Sheffield United teams, I've said it, teams at the bottom. Um, and, and you made the joke yourself, Goodison. Yeah, definitely, very much Goodison. I've, I've experienced that myself. And you mentioned obviously Johnny, um, the Emirates, and we've talked about that before. How that hasn't been, um, it's not nowhere near as good as, as Highbury. But Brenton Kante's back, mm. and how much of a role do you think he can play in pushing Chelsea over the line? Huge. Um... There's a good argument to say he's maybe Chelsea's only world-class player um, in the squad currently. Uh, he he brings what he brings. He he brings energy. He's he's brought some uh, goals this season. Um, you know, a, a couple of games he's he's had to fill in with, which is you know what we have come to know as the counter position. Lampard doesn't actually play him there, um, but. Yeah, he brings and you know experience too. The amount of big games he's played across across his career, whether you know it be winning the league with Leicester or Chelsea or winning the World Cup, um, he always seems to come come through with the goods. And and we saw even um, last year's Europa, Europa League final, there was a doubt as to whether 
he was even going to play. And, you know, he basically dominated the midfield. Um, and then he actually just came off because the game was won. So, um, yeah, I think he can he can bring a huge amount. And the good thing about, I know, you know, there's been concerns with him um, about this whole pandemic. And he's obviously had health scares before, which is completely understandable. He's, he's played uh, a couple of Chelsea's friendly games, full contact, and apparently he's looked good from all, all reports. So it'll be good to have him fully fit and, and you know, I'm sure Lampard will will use him in, in the right way. One of the um, interesting things that I'm looking forward to seeing is the fact, obviously, we have no fans, which is crap, because um, we'd all love to be able to go to games. Love, you'd love to have fans on the ground, but we can't have it just yet, so we're going to make do. Um, but I'm really looking forward to seeing, especially the the top four battle. Um, it's how the managers get on. Because there's some managers that are under pressure. I think probably Arteta is one of the only ones that isn't under pressure, really. Uh, he's just come in. He's already improved Arsenal a little bit. If they can kick on and, and secure Europa League or kick on and get Champions League on, on rails, there's no real pressure on him. Nuno, sort of the same because it's Wolves. Chris Wilder at Sheffield United, who I think is going to win manager of the year anyway. He's grand. But Frank Lampard, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Jose Mourinho. It's going to be key now to see how they get on managing and coaching their teams. And they won't have a crowd behind them to G up their players. It'll all be down to them. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that gets on. Johnny, how, out of those three, who do you think is going to cope with it the best? Radio Solskjaer and who else, sorry? Frank. Uh, Frank. Probably Frank. I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. Because I think Mourinho is such a dinosaur and he's so, he's so toxic within squads like you've seen on Dembele now he's just been completely frozen out of Spurs and he's like called him out in public about his performance and stuff he's, he's a ridiculous person never mind a football manager <laughs> uh, Star is you know a lot of people have been saying about Arteta Frank and Solskjaer like these young new managers and I'm like fucking Solskjaer's been managing for about 10 years now like what the fuck he's talking about uh, I just think Frank's just done a great job like as much as I don't want to say like he has. He's done a great job at Chelsea in his first season, second season as a coach. Like to come in and have Chelsea even in the position they are, you know, basically they're in a very good position to get Champions League football. And I think that's probably that would have been maybe Abramovich's, you know, requirement for him this year. You know, maybe even not that. You know, do your best, try and get up there. But if you don't, don't worry about it. We we're going to stick by you. But to get there in his first season in the Premier League is incredible for Frank so and he seems to be coping quite well like you, you take the Arsenal game at the Emirates for example Arsenal came out all, all guns blazing in the first half you know but Frank changed it around at half time and won that game for Chelsea with the tactics like so I think I think Frank has a lot up his sleeve and he'll he'll be able to cope with in, in the running here in the last couple of games what yeah, about you yeah. Randy? Uh, I, well obviously I'm going to agree but um, <laughs> I, I think uh I think that was that's a really good point you made there at the end, um, Johnny, about his kind of tactical nice that you know people didn't maybe give him the credit for that before. They just kind of thought he was in the job because he was a legend of a player, and that's the only reason he was back. But we've seen a couple of times that is the you know one of the examples they would use at Arsenal, where Arsenal were by far the better team coming up to half time, and they were bombarding Chelsea, and it, it was kind of like oh, what's going to happen here? Um, but he made that change and, and 
maybe slightly lucky in the end winning the game, but um, certainly they deserve the draw at that stage. And, and the other examples I would use would be the two Spurs games, you know, obviously a big game for um, for a Chelsea manager and, and to go to um, Tottenham Stadium and, and completely outplay them and um, change the shape and then to do the same at, um, at Stamford Bridge and, you know, Get, get one over on his his old manager as well, who he respected so much, and he probably had an insight into what he was going to do. Um, that that's a um, a big sort of uh, tactical uh, tech for for Lampard there. Um, so hopefully, you know, we'll have to remember as well that the it's the first time he's had a a fully. Sorry, I'm just trying to speak over the the heel stones here, which seem like rocks <laughs> coming down. Um, so if you can hear that, apologies. But um, yeah, it's the first time he's had a fully fit squad as well, Frank, to choose from. So that all points um, in a good direction for Chelsea. So hopefully they can they can just see it through. There's a couple of couple of big games in there, but um, I suppose that's the same for. I'd rather you know have those games when Chelsea have them rather than first game back when it, there's really unknown with that. That's a massive game that United Spurs game. Yeah, it's, it's out of the first round. Obviously, I'm looking forward to the Liverpool v Everton. Not just because it's a derby, but because as well, like what could potentially it could it could be. Um, but out of all the other games, that that Friday night game between Spurs United is the one I'm looking forward to the most because we're going to see Jose against obviously United and Oli, so that's going to be wild. And we're going to see potentially High Kane back, Marcus Rashford back, Pogba back in with Fernandez. How's that going to work? I know obviously United's not our flavour of the month because we're not none of us United fans, but I'm interested to see how Fernandez and Pogba get along because if, if United hit the ground running and manage to get themselves in Champions League, Pogba and Fernandez show something and they're bringing Rashford mm. back in next year. They've said before they have they're they're gonna spend this summer. They they did say that, they have the money to do that. Um earlier in uh, when we went in the lockdown. So it is gonna be really interesting to see how to kick on because that could potentially be massive for Manchester United going into the next season. When they want to ch- challenge for the big honors, do you can you see any changes in the top four as it is now? I know it's hard for you, Brandy, to not not make much changes because Chelsea are right in it. But Johnny, do you see it sort of staying the same, or can you see someone upsetting the top four? And if we take it as City won't get banned and they do stay in there, so the top four is Liverpool, City, Leicester, and Chelsea. Do you see it, see it staying the same? Uh, do you know what? It actually is quite hard to know because. There's been such a long layoff that, you know, somebody could come back and be absolutely terrible and fall out of the top four. Whilst the other way, somebody could be even, it could be unbelievable. Like Arsenal could come back and be absolutely fantastic and finish mm-hmm. in the top four. And I, I don't think it's going to happen personally, but it's very hard to tell when players have been off for this length of time. But it, it will be interesting. I think it will be a good race for the top four and for the, for the Champions League spots. Uh, I think the only thing we can say for certain about the Premier League is that Liverpool have it won. Like I think that's the only thing we can honestly say is is over and done with. Everything else, relegation, Champions League, it's all up for grabs. So it'll be it'll be interesting. Never it, just because there's no fans there doesn't mean the game of football doesn't mean anything. You know, it, it will it will be interesting um, to see how this all plays out. Oh God, I like it. I know there's no fans there and it won't sound the same. But if if we can win it and and clean and and finally get it done next Sunday night, like uh, plus it'll be my first Father's Day, it's pretty cool. 
I will cry, and I mean cry my eyeballs out. They'll fall out of their sockets. I'll be crying that much because I've, I've waited 30 years for this to happen. Like the last time I've said so many times, last time it happened, I was once. I can't really count it, but um, someone, some other people that might be crying could be North City, Aston Villa, Bournemouth, Watford, West Ham, hopefully, and Brighton fans. Um, because they have themselves, apart from big John Douglas, obviously, because they have themselves in a bit of a relegation battle. Um, that is obviously, that could be the one that goes on, that runs on. Most of the yeah. season, because you could see, you could see the likes of Chelsea and say Leicester win the first couple of games. The other teams, because they have all been inconsistent, and then that could that could be that more or less over. But the relegation battle could be could be wild. Um, is there? How do you think it's going to go? Because Villa obviously have that game in hand, and they play Sheffield United. I think it is on Wednesday night, the first game back. So if they win that, they come out of the relegation zone. They go to twenty eight points, and they put Watford and Bournemouth both back into it on twenty seven points. How do you see this going? Do you, who do you think is going to go down, and who do you think will stay up, or what do you think is where it's going to play out? Brenton, you can go first. Um, yeah, I think you're right about that Villa game. Um, it's I know that Dean Smith and um, his staff will be will be really hamming that one up because to, what an incentive to um, get out of the relegation before anybody else is playing, um, and then they. They after that, you know, that would give them the ability to kick on. I know they play Chelsea then on Sunday, which is obviously a difficult game. Um, but I think if Villa win that game, and uh, you know, it's obviously a big if. Sheffield United have been in very good form this season, as we all know. But if they if they're able to get something from that game and kick on, I think they have enough in their squad. Um, you know, obviously Grealish is. Um, I, I know I'm. Maybe having to come across as his biggest fan on this pod this season, but he's obviously a very talented player. And um, out of everyone, he was maybe the first uh, I remember uh, to to kind of say, "Okay, I bring it on footballs back." When the decision was made, so he he seems like he's raring to go, um, which can only be a good sign for them. Um, Norwich, I think, are gone. Um, I think they're you know yeah. They're obviously six points off um, Bournemouth and Watford at the moment, which is, which is maybe going to be a bit too much to, um, to make up in in the small space of games we we'll have left. Um, but uh, as for the other teams go, you know, obviously Brighton, West Ham, Watford, and Bournemouth and Villa. Um, could be any of those two, I think. Um, Southampton are are in fourteenth at the minute, and they're you know six points clear of everyone else so that's a wee bit of a cushion um but west ham i think did look quite vulnerable um and they have at certain points in the season it's it's scoring goals i think was was always has always been their big issue this season um and as johnny said earlier we don't we don't know about form and about you know squads will be bolstered from from this break you know there'll be Players who, who were injured coming back in the squad, so um, it, it's really a toss-up between between the rest of them. I think Norwich are probably gone. If, if you're pushing me, I would probably go West Ham and Brighton. Brighton? Interesting. Yeah, who would I you think... go with, Johnny, before I make my decision? Jonathan. We may have lost Jonathan. Oh, sorry, folks. My, my mic. 
my, my, my mic cut off. I think, I think I'm, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. Sorry. Johnny, who, who, who's going down? Uh, Norwich are definitely going, I think, as well. Funny enough, I actually thought Brighton too because they flirted with it last year, I thought, for yeah. a bit. Um, and then the last spot, I don't know. It's, it's hard one to call as well. I really don't know. Probably Villa because they rely too much on Jack Grealish, I feel, and it'll just catch up with him because he's going to be knackered. He is, like, you know, trying to... If he hadn't been the main man every game, like, it's just, it's not possible to, to be that consistent for, was it, nine games they have left. So, mm. I think, unfortunately, they're going to go as well. I think it'll be... Uh, I agree with you. I think Norwich are down. But they're okay because they've done so well financially. It's almost like they're all like, kick us down for the crack, lads. We'll be back in two years anyway. You don't care. Um, so Norris will go down. I think um, Bournemouth will go down, and I think West Ham will go down. I can see Aston Villa um, just because of. I, I know you're thinking about Jack Grealish will be there, and I think they'll get a, they'll get a few wins under their belt, and they'll get going. And I just have a, a real. I, I kind of like Aston Villa too. Just maybe it, and I can see Bournemouth uh, just being hoofed out of the league. And to be honest, like good riddance. And then. Um, then I can just see West Ham falling away. I, I really haven't been impressed with West Ham this season at all. Um, and if, if the season had them been cut and we had to play it out, they'd have fallen way down, right down beside Norwich because they were in bad, bad way. So, yeah, that's how I think it'll go. Do you think Brighton are going to pick up points from that fixture list? Like, I, I, I just have it in front of me here now. They play Arsenal, yeah. Arsenal, then Leicester, then United, then Norwich, which is could be a rele- relegation yeah. battle if Norwich are still in it. Then they play Liverpool, then Man City. And oh then, well, I didn't know that. I didn't know their fixture list was that. That is yeah. very evil. That's very cruel. It's wild. Their their fixture list is absolutely wild. Um, that's like I just think it's it's going to be a step too far for them. See, I didn't know Brighton's fixture list. People, folks at home, I didn't look at that bit before we jumped on, which is my own fault. Um, but I still think it'll be West Ham. And then obviously now Brighton's fixture list is throwing that in the mix, but. Like we don't know as well what's going to happen here because there's no crowds and it's it's like sort of fair game, but yeah, possibly we'll go with Brighton, West Ham, and obviously Norwich. Then I'll go with that. I'll, I'll keep. I'll go with that then. I, I'm which I'm raging because I'd like to see Bournemouth go be relegated. Why? Why is that? I just I just don't like their uh, <laughs> system manager. I don't like their system manager's face. I just can't stand his face, and I think they've had their fun. Um, and they can go down now and get leads and stuff back up and a few other clubs and they'll come back another time and I like Eddie Howe I think he'll move on but um, yeah, yeah I like watching Bournemouth actually I, 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 I would quite like them to stay up I used to like watching them but this season they've been pure putrid they always beat Liverpool uh, sure sure. they did always beat Liverpool for a while there and then we just decided nah stop stop that madness please <laughs> um, but yeah well, actually it was Mo Salah actually arrived and stopped that madness himself um, but yeah, no, I, I would like to see well, I don't know, any Bournemouth fans listening. I know I've seen two in Lurgan, which is wild. Any listening, um, come on the show and chat. There's no bother, but I would like to see your club relegated and hoofed out of my way. But well, there you are. Um, Johnny, before we let you go yes. and before we finish up, have you got a JD's award this week? <laughs> Jonathan? Hello? Is he eating that uh, microphone? Yeah, no, yeah. I do have a wee one. It'll not, it'll not take long. Okay, go, go on ahead. Microphone. I'm right here. Go on ahead. Uh, 
I'm, I'm going to make this quick and I'm going to make it quick for a reason because I might have to run away. Uh, so I'm going to take away Chelsea's Champions League because they're sure cunts and uh, <laughs> I'm going to give it to Bayern Munich. So good luck, God bless, love you all. <laughs> right, Johnny, we, we'll discuss that, sure, and you'll go on, and we'll have you back on again, obviously, next week, and we'll be chatting to you during the week anyway, because you're cousin JD. Thank you as always. That is uh, that, John. Always a pleasure, fellas. Always a pleasure. No bother. No bother. Good luck, um, Brett, sir, Rat. We'll finish off <laughs> while Johnny skips off to his good lady. Um, well, on that bombshell that Johnny's just dropped us there for two minutes. So he's took he's took he's took your beloved Champions League title off you, and he's given it to Bayern Munich. Uh, I have to say I agree. Uh, no, no. <laughs> uh, oh, as always, Johnny's awards. Uh, we have no idea what he's going to say, and then he drops that in next, which is brilliant. Have you any other little topics to finish off the show on? Anything you any predictions you have going forward? I, I have one wild one. Um. Any predictions? Um, I mean, I'd love. I actually would prefer, which which is going to sound strange for me, but um, I would prefer the Champions League places to to include fifth, which I know means that Man United or Spurs are are going to most likely get it. But um, I, I just think Man City, like they deserve a punishment, uh, you know, of at least a year. Um, to think about what they have done, um, uh, and uh, I think that that is the most likely outcome that the, that the two years will be, you know, halved in the in the just a, a season out of the Champions League. It might be a good season to be out because goodness knows what way it's going to work. Um, I think they're they're talking about a um sort of a kind of a knockout, like a um tennis style. And knockout for the you know everyone's going to know who they're going to be playing in the next round for the for the end of the season's Champions League. Not that Chelsea will probably be in it for long longer than one more game, but um, I think they're you know you'll know your route to the final basically who you have to beat. There'll be no other draws made, and they'll all it'll all be in the one city, mm-hmm. um, which could be quite that could be quite good to watch for uh, like a mini World Cup. But next season, you know. We don't know what it's going to look like, whether the travel restrictions will be lifted again and whether fans will be allowed to travel. So it might be a good season for Man City to be out of it, but um, it'll be a good season for everyone else if they are out of it, um, just to just to bring them back down to earth. Um, but the, yeah, the other prediction that I would probably make, and that would be coming in the next season, would be that Newcastle are going to be spending a wild amount of money. <laughs> um, and... It's so strange to see um, transfer rumors, and then the clubs that are listed. You know, they're they're listed now and as being interested in Kai Havertz, which is just wild. You'd never would have seen it before. It includes, you know, clubs interested include Man United, Liverpool, City, Chelsea, and Newcastle. You know, it's, <laughs> uh, it's strange to see it at the end, but that's that's probably what it's going to be like. So um, that'll be something to look forward to. I think. The the top four I hope will I hope will stay the same, obviously with the omission of Man City. And my prediction would probably be that United will push on with Pogba back now and um him creating some sort of partnership with Bruno Fernandez. I think that'll um 
that will strengthen them, you know, even more so. I know they're in good form and Rashford being back as well. I think they'll probably pip Spurs to the post with that one. Um, and then we've, we've made our relegation prediction. So um, I hope that's the way. And obviously, Liverpool as champions. I predict that Marcus Rashford will finish top goal scorer. Yeah, also I just... just uh, sorry, I just have a... I just, he has just been... He's just been unbelievable as a human being. Um, yeah. during, I was going to say, we should mention yeah, that. Yeah, during coronavirus and, and what he's pushed for. And like today, he was asking for more help from the government, which obviously Bojo the Clown rejected because he's a scumbag. Um, but w- he was pushing for more meals and, and, and to look after children because, which I didn't know his story. He actually went through that himself when he was a child. So he knows what he's talking about. And just the money he's raised and the, um, and the awareness he's raised and the food food banks and all his help. He's just been... He's been unreal, and it's weird to actually sort of have a bit of a love and affection for a Manchester United player, yeah. but Rashford just seems different. And I think when he comes back, I know he looked sharp the other day when they played West Brom, I can just see him exploding, and especially with that midfield United have. Like, like we, we jest because we like slagging United or whatever when we're on this podcast, but if they can dial that in, and if that midfield with Pogba and Fernandez can click, I don't know where you're going to play who, but if they can click and... Maric and Fred and the likes behind them, McTominay, and then you've up front, you've Rashford, you can build around that. Um, they're on one, like they really are. And next season, um, they'll be right slap bang in the middle of it, pushing. I don't think they'll push City and uh, Liverpool next year, depending on who on who purchases who. Obviously, Chelsea will be in the mix now because of Timo, Timo Werner, which elevates them massively, Like which we haven't really talked about that much because we obviously, mm-hmm. with the, the podcast we're running, but... I think that elevates him so well now, Chelsea, and really puts him up there. And if they can get a Kai Havertz, like pfft, you'd have them joint just behind City and, and Liverpool next year. But another way interesting thing as well is, um, which I think is brilliant, is that the fact that all the players are going to be wearing Black Lives Matters in the back of their tops. Yeah. Um. Well, the good part of that is it absolutely fries gammon and racist heads, which is just what you want. Like you want them to be to be gone with. So. Yeah, I, I, look, I'm really excited, obviously. I'm excited because I'm excited that La, La Liga was back. And I'm excited, obviously, the Premier League's coming back. Um, not just because of Liverpool, but just in general. Like, we have so many good games. And it's like a festival of football for the next six weeks. It's wild. Yeah. So, um, is there anything else you want to touch on before we go, Breton? No, that's just uh, just to also voice my support for that. Uh, I think it's brilliant. And I think, you know, credit goes to the players because they have been the ones who have really pushed it. Um, yes, the Premier League are on board now, but that whole players' union or players together union, which uh, we've seen develop sort of at the start of this whole crisis, and obviously continue on now for for these social issues that we're facing inexplicably again. But um, the players have been have been really at the forefront of it, and um, I think that's right because they're the ones who are who are going out onto the pitch and and putting it on their shirt. So um, hopefully that that drives more awareness and more people being educated. And as you say, we need it in football sometimes um, with some of the uh, fans, if that's what you want to call them, more like hooligans. Um, it's uh, If it's right in their faces, then that can only help. Yeah, definitely. Um, and hopefully it keeps going and we can keep pushing things. And hopefully someone at the government listens to Marcus Rashford and takes him up on his... Uh, proposal and because um, when you hear of kids uh, it's, it sounds mad like but kids in 2020 in in the UK not getting meals and living in poverty just 
It's a bit stupid, like, but um, yeah, that's this week's football show. We'll be back, obviously, at the weekend, um, because we'll have had a, have a round of fixtures have gone off. So who knows? I might be back for weeks because Liverpool <laughs> could win it on Sunday night at Goodison, and that could be me off on on beer. I don't even drink, but I could be fully drunk on just <laughs> um happiness on Sunday night. But yeah. Up next on the Sports Babble, we're joined by Brendy Boyle. Brendy is a writer and contributor on all things Spanish football and based in Madrid, so he knows what he's talking about. We've had him on before. He sat down and talked to me during lockdown about life in Spain and being an Atletico Madrid fan. So we'll get into a bit about that because obviously Atletico stumbled again at the weekend, away to Bilbao. We talk about Real Madrid and Barcelona, about a fit-looking Eden Hazard. And we also looked at maybe have the bigger teams got a bigger, a better advantage because they're able to condition better. Brandy was explaining to us how teams, uh, players from smaller teams are living in sort of apartments and flats, whereas the likes of Cristiano, or not Cristiano Ronaldo, he's not there anymore, Sergio Ramos, Lionel Messi, they're able to live in mansions with their own purpose-built gyms. So we get into all of that because La Liga returned um, at the weekend. There's a little bit of an issue with the sound and um, the connection between Ireland, obviously, and Spain wasn't great. But uh, Brennan's agreed to come on every week. So look forward to hearing more La Liga chat, more updates on La Liga every week on the Sports Bubble. Hope you enjoy it. So we're joined on the Sports Bubble by our good friend, Brendy Boyle in Madrid. Hello, Brendy. How are you doing, gents? Uh, we're all good. Uh, we're obviously all excited because the Premier League starts back on Wednesday. Um, but La Liga started back this weekend. The first game actually was a, a Seville derby, which is complete bonkers to start the league back with that. But um, how are you, Brandy? Anyway, and how have you found uh, football coming back? How has it been in Spain? Um, they've done a great job, La Liga. I think I mentioned it online last week that um, they've put a really good team together that. Like it kept people in the loop throughout the process of what they're doing step by step. So everybody had a good idea of what was going on, um, who was doing what, the protocols in place. So everybody was kind of, it was building nicely to the to that Betis to be a game. Um, I know compared to the Premier League, there hasn't been as much uh, communication until the very last minute. So that's one thing that they've done really well here. Um, and obviously things have been slowly getting back to normal. We're in different stages here in Spain. You have, um, today actually Galicia, the region of Spain entered into the, the new normality, which means there's no restrictions. So they're in phase four, as it would be, whereas Madrid is still, is still in phase two. Sevilla, for example, is in phase three. So the different parts of the country is in different phases, which is quite unusual. Um, if you if you thought about it from a UK or Ireland point of view, I'd imagine like Dublin in one phase and Cork in another. So it's it's been um it's been a complicated process, but they've managed it pretty well, and people have been pretty patient in terms of they've <laughs> they've come this far after not being able to leave their house that they're kind of they can see the light at the end of the tunnel and being able to go for for their beer or their coffee in the morning is helping people get back to normal. So um and obviously with the football coming back. It's been a big, it's another boost to the, just for people's sanity, if anything else, just to have structure to their week and their weekends. Um, so they've done a good job, La Liga, um, as we'll get into in a while about the actual, the games themselves. But it's uh, so far so good after the first match day. And as he's, as we said offline, the second match day has already begun a day after. So it's it's fast and furious to want to get it, the season over and done with as soon as possible. So they've, uh, they've done it overall. I was just going to ask you, um, what the with the different parts of, of the country, as you said, being in different um, stages, 
does that affect the teams much? What way are they, are they dealing with that? The the teams have been pretty much a kind of United national approach that they've been given special especially if you will to, in terms of everybody was able to train at the same time so there hasn't been any um kind of disadvantages there because they're well aware of how they um the league of teams can kick up a bit of a fuss at the slightest hint of anything but they've been pretty um pretty fair all around um in terms of the training and um kind of incorporating kickoff times that it's not for example that city of betty's game was 10 p.m because obviously it's to be much warmer part of the country so they've done a, they've done a good job um keeping as uh, clear as a, a fair a playing field as possible um which is not easy given the, the time frame and it's juggling different clubs and different kind of powers in the league. so um so far so good but <laughs> it doesn't take long for things to change in spain so yeah brandy uh i was just curious i was talking to the lad before we actually came on how is La Liga kind of showing these games? Like in the Premier League, you're going to be using BBC, BT, Sky to show basically every game. Is La Liga doing something similar? Yeah, they've pretty much continued on as normal in terms of the. There's one provider of the game, which is Movistar here, and you have your one free to air game, which is on Gold TV. And each game has the option of watching it as your own after all sound of like a training ground game, or as you have the. The artificial sound and um, every person depends on which whichever way you prefer you and it's good that it avoids people fighting online that this way is better than this if you, if you prefer watching a virtual you can watch it virtual and if you prefer watching the natural sound or listening to Simeone screaming that that's fine as well um it, a lot of people have said the sound has worked pretty well and i, I agree that it's um they, are, they also have pixelated fans which can be kind of funny now and again because if the ball is in the air, the ball suddenly goes missing because it's fixed. It's kind of weird. Um, but the sound, the the pumping sound of the like the fans recorded from previous games and kind of getting excited when there's a chance and stuff, it's actually worked pretty well. And it's been it's just nice to have background noise. You know, if you're just like kind of half watching a game and you're on your phone and it just sounds like normal life again, just when you hear. You might hear an attack, but it's actually <laughs> these artificial fans kind of Oy. but it's um yeah. got, they're kind of tweaking it, and with each game it seems to be getting better. So again, it's a learning process. Um, and obviously in the UK and in Ireland it's free at the moment on the Sky platform. But I think there was a code available until uh, free until July. So um, they have the Movistar platform in Spain, and then back home they have it on. Uh, I think it's on the Premier Sports package, so on the La Liga TV. So I think they've done a good job on the international point of view as well. On um, on this week's football, uh, it started back the top three one, and I know Sevilla are they're currently drawn nil uh, nil still with Levante. So the top three one and uh, Barcelona looked oh, impressive is not really the right word. They just looked um, secure, if you know what I mean. They just looked comfortable. Obviously, Real Madrid, yes, they look comfortable. Eden Hazard, which I'm sure Brenton Borgi is going to talk about in two seconds. Uh, he looked very well. He looked very trim as well, which was nice. Um, you're not, you're an Atletico fan. I had you on before, um, and we were talking about it. What, what is go, what's going on with Atletico? It just they've had the most draws I think they've ever had in a season. Is it 13 now or something? Uh, Sid Lowe and Phil Kitchenleaders were talking about it on the Spanish football podcast today. And yesterday against Bilbao, I watched that whole game. 
And I know they had Arias's chance towards the end. It was a good save by Unai Simon, but they never really looked like they were going to put Bilbao away. Yes, Bilbao are a good side, but you just don't have that confidence with Atletico in the league that they can go on and win a game, whereas they turn up at Anfield and they bamboozle us once it goes into extra time. And they were like, that extra time, I think they were superb. So I want just your opinion on it. What do you think is going wrong in the league? Yeah, it's really frustrating. Like you said, that the the Anfield game they played when they had to play, they played some really nice stuff. Obviously, the game was a bit open and a bit crazy towards the end. But again, it's just the draws on the road are killing them. It's like you're saying, thirteen overall and eight in the league, which is just if you've any ambitions to finish top two or top three, then it's it's just too many draws. Um. The guys on the Spanish football podcast, they mentioned again about the defence. It's just the little margins that make the difference for Simeone's side that in terms of if they, if they don't get to that level defensively, then it puts a huge amount of pressure on the attack, which has never been a strong point. So it gets to a point where scoring one goal used to be enough. I remember how many games in the when they won the league in 2013-14 were like these one late 1-0 wins and it's just kind of grind them out anymore just Lacking those players, a bit of street streetwiseness like your Diego Deans and Gabby's and Raul Garcia's lads that just know how, know how to win football games as opposed to the current batch of players that are not as um, not as wily. They have some they have some experience, but like Koki and Saul, but they're, they're different breed of players. They're quite nice. They're not really a kind of a horrible team to play against anymore. Although the Liverpool fans would uh, would beg to differ, but um, just in terms of in the league, they just really struggle when teams let them come at them with the ball and they run out, run out of ideas pretty quickly. So it's um again, it's it's more of the same. It's like we've seen it in the past with Atletico. It's, it's not it's not anything really new, but it's just the the that couple of percentage difference in defence that the games that they used to grind out are not grinding out anymore, or the games that are black will pull off these wonder saves that he can keep saving all of these um, eventually that. Missing the likes of Godin and uh, Philippe Luiz and one friend that's just it's taking its toll. And like the likes of Savage, they're decent players, but you're not going to challenge for a league with Stefan Savage in, in defense or and Trippier being quite good. But again, it's just that defense is just that level a step off where it used to be. And then that's puts pressure on the likes of Diego uh, Costa and Attack and Morata, just players that you can't really trust at the moment. So and the sooner Joao Felix get, gets back, the better. But again, it's going to be interesting to see how he fits into the, into the system. Um, because it's a sprint finish and Simeone knows that they don't have much uh, more room for error. So it's going to be interesting to see how he tweaks it in the coming weeks. Yeah, it's it's really strange. And I just, just to, I don't know Brenton wants to talk about Hazard and Real Madrid. Who were pretty impressive yesterday uh, for spells of the games, certainly Hazard. Just on Morata and Costa, it was interesting that Simeone said uh, the day before the game that he's not going to try these two. And it looks like he's probably not going to try the two of them together until the season's finished, or certainly not until they get to that. What I think UEFA are going to announce on Wednesday is a Champions League tournament. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what goes on there. What did you make of Marcos Llorente yesterday? He's doing. He's, it's a new role, obviously, for him. So it's going to take time for him to, to find his feet. But he, he has the potential to be a good player. He does a lot of does a lot of things well. He's not a he's not a particularly gifted player technically, but he brings real 
kind of that energy and intensity, which a Simeone team really, really works well when they have that type of player um, in the engine room and driving forward. So if they can get him into that rule where he's kind of arriving late at the end of counterattacks, he, he could be um, a weapon that people <laughs> weren't really expecting until uh, until after the Anfield game. So it's going to be interesting to see how he fits in because there's so many midfielders. It's going to be interesting to see how Koke and Thomas Herrera, Saul, um, there's so many central midfielders. It's going to be interesting to see how he jigs this and how he gets wide players into this because it's a team that seriously uh, lacks width and without width, then you're going to struggle to get Morata and Costa kind of at the, the end of this process. So he's had a lot of decisions to make in the coming weeks and he's uh, he's another game away from home on, I think it's Wednesday night at Osasuna. So he's uh, going to have to get things going pretty quickly. I just wanted to jump to the other side of the city quickly. Um, I know it might not be your, your favorite topic, but um, obviously it's been well documented about um, Hazard's struggles this year. And um, now, as Phil said, he, he's come back and he, he looks quite fit. He obviously played well in the first game back. I'm just wondering what the general feel is now on Hazard in Spain and obviously in, in um, Madrid more, more closely. Um, do, do they see him now as that star player that he can push on yeah he's had a tough season um just the, he's had a couple of games where it looks like the spark has has kind of come back and then it's been disrupted by injury um it's been a, he's a curious player has it at madrid that he never he's obviously the galactico signing but he never really kind of caught the, the attention like uh like a cristiano ronaldo or a cac at a time that people were thinking Okay, he's a brilliant player, but people often felt that maybe he joined him two years too late. Um, but again, everybody knows he's an incredible player, and it's all about consistency. That I think they they want him to finish this season strong, to get a a decent rest and a, a solid preseason, and to get going for next season. But the pressure does build on him every time he has two or three games in a row. You see a mark of the Arias. There's like four pages dedicated to what he's doing wrong and his injuries and. Um, so, as you guys know, it doesn't take long for the Spanish media to jump on players, especially Gareth Bale, for example. So, it's um, it's been a tough, it's been a tough season, and like you said yesterday, he did look trim. And it's, if he can get, there's what there's ten games left. If he can get six or seven good games under his belt, um, obviously you have to be realistic that he won't play every game. That and a, a solid summer's rest then the platform is there for him next season to really push on. And next season was probably going to be his chance to make a break eventually because he's uh, he's not getting younger. But the potential, like everybody knows what he's capable of doing. It's just getting him into the midfield team because they're obviously struggling with the strikers. Well, um, Benzema is quite similar to Hazard in a way that he's, he's an exceptional player um, in terms of creativity, but they're still lacking that killer in the box. So... They're kind of juggling around with their young kind of Brazilian attackers, uh, Vinicius and Rodrigo, and they have Asensio's back and Visco. So it's, um, it's not easy for Zidane to keep juggling these players and keeping Zidane uh, Hazard kind of fit um, and ready for the, the, because there's some huge games coming up. Thursday they play Valencia, so again, that's that's a big one. Um, but yeah, the, yesterday the signs are positive, so they'll be hoping he builds on that in the coming weeks. Do you think, um, do you think, I know you talked about it yesterday on Twitter and when we were sort of talking about it off, off her, do you think there is, has been a big difference in players' conditioning within the top sides, the likes of Barcelona, Atletico Madrid, 
um, Bilbao even, because Bilbao are a massive side in Spain, um, and Real Madrid compared to some of the, the lower sides, you think there really has been a difference in their physical, physical conditioning since the break? Um, it seems like it, if, it should be expected because they're obviously at a higher level in terms of their elite, their like, the, the top level of, of uh, professional football, especially Barca Madrid. But especially, like I was saying um, on Twitter yesterday, that in Spain, for example, if you have the likes of Ramos and Messi, they live in huge mansions, they have huge gardens, they have gyms, they have swimming pools where they can train. Whereas you get the likes of uh, the guys like an Eibar or Leganes, and these guys will be living in smaller apartments. And during the lockdown, they haven't had any special permission to go out running or to go jogging in the park. These guys have been cooped up. And as much as you can do at home, we, we've all tried the, the yoga video, the yoga videos on, uh, on YouTube, for example, but it, uh, it does make a difference that when you're actually able to train, obviously not 100%, but you see the likes of Ramos on his Instagram, that he's training like ferociously with this beautifully equipped gym and swimming pool. Mm. I think it has made a difference. And obviously, they are better professionals. They're, they have the best of everything. They're obviously paid. They, their salaries are much more inflated and they're able to afford like these catering services, the best food and all this. So um, it's to be expected. And obviously it's not, a, it's not a huge factor because at the end of the day, that league players are professional. But I think those 5 10%, it does make a difference, especially when you're coming off the back of a, of a long break. So we saw that with Barca and uh, Madrid. We can just blew Mallorca and they were away. The game was over at halftime in both games. Uh, by the time the two small teams kind of got the rhythm, the game was done and dusted. So it's um I think there's something in it. I think uh the gap will probably close in the coming weeks with more game time under the belts of the smaller teams. But um I wouldn't be surprised to see kind of more heavy beatings like that in the coming weeks when we see that these teams have had a, a they've had a big advantage to to enjoy over the smaller teams. I think maybe Suarez is the exception. He looked like he's been on my diet during lockdown. <laughs> When he when he when he when he trundled onto the pitch uh, the other night, God love him. Um, he looked like he'd enjoyed himself during this. Um, John, have you another question, or Brendan, have you another question for Brandy? Just uh, just on Messi, he's he's came back and he looks like twenty ten Messi, you know, the hair and no beard, and you know his numbers as well. Like he's just an absolutely incredible player, and there just seems to be no stopping him, even though he's getting. In his latter years, like, but are you still impressed with how Messi's still performing, even though he is coming, I suppose, to his twilight years? Yeah, <laughs> Saturday I was saying that uh, to some guys online that it really did look like he was teleported back from the Pep Guardiola years. That, <laughs> that I guess it's just like like any of us if we hadn't played football in two or three months, the first game you just just be like. Like a dog running on a beach to just feel free. So he, he does look like he's being he's enjoying his football. I think the pressure has been been lifted off him a bit. I know in past years, like the Champions League, he's felt that you could see it on him that just a huge pressure to win the Champions League. Yet obviously the season they 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 can't win it yet. But he's um he, I guess when it comes to Messi, he's only as good as the team around him as well. That in terms of when the team isn't functioning, that the pressure increases on him. And when the pressure increases on him, he becomes more desperate and they look to him more. He gets crowded out. Teams know that they can basically man-mark him and then that's Barcelona, sort of. But 
likes of Martin Braithwaite, uh, he's been a really good addition. Uh, he's just given them that bit of kind of selflessness, that a bit of athleticism, that bit of hunger that they really needed just, just to give them that bit of extra energy. Um, and obviously Griezmann, who hasn't, he hasn't had the best of seasons, um, and Arturo Vidal, these type of players that when they do step up, they take the pressure off Messi. And when the pressure's off, and when he has that bit of extra space, then we all know what he can do. I think it's, it's 628 club goals for Barcelona, which is just they're real numbers. Um, but it was great in, uh, just just smiling at, during the game of the weekend. It's uh, it's nice to see that at that level, guys can after so many winning so many titles, that guys can actually still enjoy their football. So it's uh, it was good to see. And quickly, just on there was two celebrations over the weekend, uh, both by Madrid-based players. One was Diego Costa's when he scored his goal, which was lovely for um, Virginia Torricella, um, who had recently been diagnosed with a brain tumor, and she had that removed successfully in Pamplona, and he put a, 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 a her jersey up to um, just sort of tell her that he's here for, which is amazing. And then the other one, which was really interesting, um, was Marcelo taking a knee and raising his fist yesterday. Like I know it sounds bad, but for someone of the Franco's old team to see a black African or black African American player or black African player take a knee was quite um sort of poetic in a way. It was sort of symbolic for him to do that. Like and I, I did I did like the way it's been pushed and, and people have been sort of celebrating it and and congratulating him on it and been praising him for it. But how has that gone down in Spanish media? Has it been talked about or has it been glossed over or um it's been it's obviously made the papers because everything everything every part of Real Madrid game is in the papers, but it has its game coverage and um the George Floyd incident has really caught hold in the media here that the I think was it last weekend there was a huge protest in Madrid just in the, the show the Solidarity. There's a huge gathering in the centre. So um it is a story that has gained huge uh, coverage here and it's like you said, it's refreshing to see a professional footballer in Spain, a country which has had its uh, well-documented problems with racism in football. As we all know, we've seen incidents in the past that a player, because it's not an easy decision to make because he's in a predominantly white player league. So it's um, he obviously felt supported by his own teammates as well, um, but I'd like to, to, to do so. So it is uplifting. Um, I know we're in the year 2020, but often sometimes in, in Spain it can feel quite backwards culturally and things like that but it, there are there has been huge improvements made in the the racism side of things in football because it, not so long ago maybe up until 10 years ago it's still had a huge problem and you would still hear in stadiums across Spain but slowly it's it's been kicked out of football and uh, La Liga have done a really good job on it and like I said it was it was refreshing to see Marcelo actually using his position as a professional footballer to send that message as a black Brazilian who, in a country that, again, suffers so much racism, where the black Brazilians suffer so much at the hands of the police. So it was yeah. great to see. Yeah, because Marcelo as well, he's like such a, a prominent and well world-renowned footballer to do that. Like it was, it was really good to see someone like him make the stand because sometimes and it can get lost in, as well, you know, the, 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 um, the moment or whatever. And I just thought it was really... It took me aback actually when he did it because I wasn't expecting it when I saw him do it. Um, I did feel as well the TV camera might have cut away from it, but thankfully then afterwards it was promoted and it was pushed and there was images and all of it. So yeah, it was interesting. Like and and hopefully the, that movement keeps going and we can see some sort of 
social uh, change within especially America anyway because God help it, it needs it. Um, I think, uh, Brent, have you another question for Brent before we wrap it up? Just a quick one before you go, Brent. Um, obviously, we've seen some clubs um, in the Premier League so far um, talk about chasing transfers and it looks like Werner's going to come in at Chelsea, which is quite a big signing. Um, has there been any talk or, or rumours of, of big signings this summer in Spain or is it something that they're keeping um, with obviously the economic situation or are they, are they keeping quite quite reserved. I know it's not really um, Barcelona and Real Madrid style to keep things reserved, but obviously Havertz has been mentioned, uh, you know, for both clubs. Yeah, it's obviously with the main coverage at the moment has obviously been with the, the start of the league or the restart of the league, but it seems the main transfer this summer is Lautaro Martinez to, to Barca. That's going to be um, the biggest transfer. Um, however, where they're going to find the money, I've I have no idea at the moment they're going to auction off uh, poor Phil Coutinho across Europe. But um, Atletico Madrid have come out and said basically that there will be no signings unless obviously um, sales will finance any transfers, but they're not expecting, especially given the uh, financial impact of the coronavirus break. And Real Madrid have kept their cards close to their chest. The usual Mbappe rumours will probably surface again once the league starts coming to an end. Um, but it seems like Barca are going to be putting the players on the shop window to finance uh, Martinez from Inter. And that's probably going to be the big one because obviously Suarez needs a replacement um, for next season, essentially. Um, so he was, if I had to bet on anybody for the big transfer of the summer, that's going to be it, I think. It's interesting. Uh, Brandy, thanks as ever for joining us. Hopefully we can make this a weekly slot and get you on. You can fill us in on our La Liga content. There's going to be plenty of games. I think there's games for the next 28, 27 days or something. So Yeah, I was looking at that earlier. There's like three games a day. And then the Premier League will start and obviously then Europe will come back. There'll be games and that there and all the leagues have started. It's going to be like a massive festival of football for the next month, the six weeks. It's absolutely wild. Um, but long may it continue. We'll enjoy it. Um, and Brenny, we'll get you back on again then next week to talk about probably be rounds three and four. It won't be next week because they're coming that quick. Yeah, so, we um, yeah, we'll have this the midweek is round two and any weekend round three. So it's the the matches are gonna blend into each other. So it's gonna be just like you said, kind of World Cup feel to it, so we might as well just enjoy it. Yeah, big time. Thanks, Brandy. All right, boys. Bye, bye. Good Thanks as always, everyone, for listening. Um get all of our stuff on all of our social media channels at the Sports Babble. And if you have any questions for any of our podcasts, any of our shows, any of our guests. Drop us a line at thesportsbabble at gmail.com. All right, everyone, good luck.